Now, when I speak to people about God, one of the things people tell me is that they don't believe in God uh, because as far as they are concerned, there is no evidence for God. In fact, when I used to work at the Ministry of Justice uh, many moons ago now as an economist, I used to sit opposite a very wonderful lady, an, an intellectual, and she used to always ask me the same question. How can you as an economist believe in God? Surely there is no evidence. So what she meant by that, of course, is that we cannot see God physically. She can't feel him. She can't touch him. And so she doesn't have the confidence that God exists. Now, when you talk to people who are this position, it doesn't actually take very long uh, for them to admit that the idea that you've got to touch and feel something to believe it exists is actually quite absurd. And they're actually, after a while, happy to admit that they don't really believe that. All evidence must be physical. And they know that, of course, because if they decided to have physical evidence for the air they breathe, they wouldn't last very long. Uh, if they decided to only breathe the air, if they can see the evidence for it, of course, they wouldn't. Uh, they would just die. Uh, love, of course, is one of the most powerful things that we experience as human beings. And, of course, love is not something that we feel or touch. And we can think of many things, scientific laws and other things. So we don't, they know that, and they would admit that the reason uh, they don't believe in God is really because of personal reasons. They don't want to live under his rule. Now imagine with me for a second a scene at Wimbledon Station. It's 8.30 a.m. in the morning uh, last year, 1st of October. Uh, we, are, we are in an underground train carriage, and then people start running out of the doors. Uh, emergency alarms are being set off. <laughs> what are people scared of? Well, it turns out there is a man in the train who is reading aloud words from the Bible. Just reading the words of the Bible makes people scared because they have never heard the Bible, many of them, before. And they just hear those words of God's love and judgment and they are running away and calling the police. This happened in the UK last year. Now, as I thought about that, if people in the UK now run scared of hearing the words of the Bible, which they brought to the world, the King James translation, I doubt they really want God to show up in his full glory. Now, God, for his part, is not at all embarrassed by his invisibility. John chapter 1, verse 18, which we just read, tells us plainly in that verse, no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen him. And the Bible is upfront about that. Now, in the Old Testament, people saw God. But this was not seeing God in his full essence. They saw what we call theophanies or Christophanies, the appearance of God in the Old Testament in the person of Jesus. They saw something of God taking on human form temporarily. Why has no one ever seen God in his essence? Well, part of the answer is that God is spirit. So yes, in his full essence, God is spirit. He has no physical stuff like us. God is what is a technical name, incorporeal. He doesn't have physical stuff like you and I. So partly it's because God is spirit, but it's not just our physical limitation that stops us from seeing God. 
It is also that God is fundamentally different from all creation, including us. He is over and above everything he has created, visible and invisible, whether rulers or authorities or dominion. God is above all these things. And some of the things God has created is actually invisible, the Bible tells us. So his transcendency, as the Bible uses a technical term, because it's over and above all things, is beyond our grasp. So in order for us to know God, he has to reach out to us. And the good news of Christmas is that God has done just that. Let's read that verse 18 again. In fact, from verse 1 to 18, John is making the same point, but in verse 18, he sums up really what he's saying. He says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. I just want to point out to you this morning that the original word for made known here is exegesato. It is where we get the English word exegesis from. To reveal or exposit something hidden. In other words, what John is telling us here is that Jesus is the exegesis of God. And what do I mean by that? It means the entering of Jesus that first Christmas begins the explanation, interpretation, and revelation of God to us. Now, in this hymn book, we have on page 105 a wonderful hymn whose first verse starts like this. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in an unfathomable minds of never-ending skill, he treasures up his bright desires and works his sovereign will. And the hymn hence like this, blind belief, unbelief, is unsure to err, and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he'll make it plain. The poet William Cooper. He's saying the same thing there. God is his own interpreter, his own revelation. And in Jesus, God does just that. So this morning, I just want to share with you two things this verse tells us about what the coming of Jesus, that first Christmas, reveals about the heart of God. And there are two points, just briefly, really. The first one is that Jesus reveals God is a loving relationship. Jesus reveals God is a loving relationship. Now, every person born on earth is younger than their mother, by definition. I hope you agree. Except Jesus. The Bible says Jesus, his history doesn't begin inside Mary's virgin womb. No, it's from eternity past. Verse 18 again. No one has ever seen God. The only God, that is Jesus, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now, a 2018 survey of professing Christians in the UK done by Logonia 
showed that 91% of professing Christians in the UK believe in the Trinity. Just 91%. Wondering what's going on with the other 9%. They believe that God is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So far, so good. But then the same survey shows us that 73% of professing Christians believe that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. 73%. So sadly, what's going on there? I think I know what's going on. Actually, I've got a good theory. What's going on there is that many people who attend church actually owed to a Muslim distortion of the Trinity. Muslims, as you know, say that the Bible teaches that God the Father is God and Jesus is the created being and so is the Holy Spirit. And together, that is the Trinity. They have misunderstood the Trinity. Because the Bible here, and sadly people in the UK who profess church hold on to that. Perhaps it's through the internet or it's just that we are not teaching the word of God clearly as pastors to our people. Because the Bible here is telling us plainly that Jesus is not a created being. He has always existed as God. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God, that is Jesus, the Son, who is at the Father's side, in fact, in another version it says, the only begotten son who is at the father's side, he has made him known. The Bible is telling us that Jesus is the one and only God. There is no other. There is no God outside Jesus. All the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, Paul tells us in Colossians. And yet here, John goes on to reveal another who is God. Did you notice? The Father in verse 18. So we have the only God who is at the Father's side. That is the Son, God the Son. But he's at the Father's side. There's also God the Father here mentioned. So now we have two persons who are each fully God. The Father and the Son. When there is only one God. <laughs> Later on, John, if you read through John, he tells us about another God the Spirit. So we have in the Bible here what is called the Holy Trinity. The, word, the phrase is found in the Bible, but it is a teaching of the Scriptures which says there are three persons in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Each of these are fully God individual, Fully God. And yet all one. Three persons in one. And this verse explains how the persons of the Trinity relate to each other in here. Look at that verse again. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. What does it mean that God the Son is at the Father's side? Well, the phrase here literally means close to the heart of the Father or in the intimate presence of the Father. Or some version says, in the bosom of the Father. The Bible is telling us here that God in his essence is an intimate union of love. The three persons of the Trinity constantly swim in each other's love for eternity. And if you are here Sunday evening, I made the point that God didn't create us because he went out to look for love. He already had it. 
in eternal abundance. He created us to share love with us. So the, the Holy Trinity basks in everyday love and reserved love. Our minds can't even begin to imagine how it must be like in the Trinity. To receive pure love and reserved love, unconditional love, and then just to give it back. The three persons are just doing this for eternity. It's amazing, isn't it? We can't imagine it. Uh, the union of the Trinity oozes out love that never reigns, always giving love and always being loved. And this is the revelation of Christmas. That God is a loving relationship. What holds the universe together? Who could say the love of the Trinity? When you drill it all the way down, you find God, don't you, who holds everything together. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And we know that it's true. We know this because we know this is true because God the Son has entered our world. He is God's interpreter. He's revealed these things to us. He has made it known. Now what difference does it make to know this Christmas? God is a loving relationship. I think it changes everything. For one thing, it gives us a proper perspective of God, doesn't it? God is love, not love is God. God is love. That means everything, and I mean everything God does, is an expression of his loving nature. You have to let that sink in. God creating you is an act of love. God hating the sin you do is an act of love to the sinner because sin kills. God's work in the world, including his eternal judgment, is an act of love to his church. We, we, we don't always know how God's love is expressing itself in our lives. But this truth means that if we truly know Jesus, we must trust that God is always acting in love, even in situations we can't understand. And we know this as believers, don't we? Everything works together for good for those that love him. We need to remember this when we're going through a situation where we feel like God has somehow withdrawn his love from us. If the face of God seems hidden, it's only because God loves us. It's amazing, isn't it? If I'm praying for something and it seems God is not answering it, it's only because God loves me. He's doing everything in my life because he loves me. And by his love, he's still pursuing us to be with him. And this brings us to the second truth, the coming of Jesus reveals about God. So the first truth is that Jesus reveals God is a loving relationship. Well, the second thing Jesus reveals is that God is lovingly pursuing us. Lovingly pursuing us. John has told us that God is beyond our grasp. No one has ever seen God. Now, one of the, remember I said the first reason is that God is spirit. That's one reason we can't see God. Well, the other reason we can't, God is beyond our grasp because our darkness hides him. You know that wonderful hymn, isn't it? Holy, holy. Though the darkness hides thee. Well, our darkness, our sin, hides God. God is like the sun. If the sun stopped shining, it would no longer be the sun. In the same way, God would not be God if he had any sin in him. He's completely pure and holy. 
And just as day and night cannot happen at the same time, this most holy God just cannot dwell with sinners. He just can't. He's completely pure. You must be pure to see God, the Bible says. And the tragedy of our existence is that we are by nature rebels against God and are cut off from that intimate relationship because we allowed sin to enter this world in evil. But the sensation of good news of John 1 verse 18 is that God has a heart of love and the heart of God still beats love for us and it is pursuing us. Friends, this Christmas, I just want to remind you that God is not cheering anyone on to hell. No, quite the opposite. God is not happy that creatures he has fashioned in his image should oppose him. He's loving pursuing us to call us back to him, to give us his heart. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. God has reached out to make himself known to us in Jesus. The revelation of Christmas, if you like, is that, remember what I said about Jesus? He's close to the Father's heart, yeah? You know, he's in the bosom of the Father, that's what that verse says. Well, we might say that the revelation of Christmas is that God has reached deep down into his very being, and he has plucked out his own heart and sent it in the person of Jesus to us. He stretched deep into his bosom, so to speak, in his heart, close to his heart, plucked out his heart, and sent it to us in Jesus. The first Christmas marks the, the public start, I would say the public start, of God's loving pursuit of sinners in Jesus. God descends an infinite distance to reach out to us. You see, by putting on our humanity, the Creator fully identifies Himself with us fallen creatures. The eternal embraces the temporal. Omnipotence now sits side by side with weakness. The infinite God is now dressed in human finitude as a man. The glory of God now walks around with human grief. The God who dwells in light now sits as an infant in a cradle, it's amazing love, isn't it? And that is only the beginning. It's only the beginning of this loving pursuit. Because we know the child Jesus, who is God, he grows up. God grows up as a man. And he lives a perfect life for our benefit. Now, in most marriage cultures, like where I come from, there is a period of courtship, isn't it? Where when couples prove their loyalty to one another before they get married. And for us and Jesus, it was only one-sided. Not each other proving. Only one-sided. It was Jesus only proving his loyalty to us. Because Jesus, you see, proves his loving commitment to be with us by succeeding where Adam failed. He comes to live a perfect life to prove his love for us, actually, before God. Jesus endures suffering. He endures temptation. He has to live perfectly for us, out of love for us. Because if he sins, 
world, there is no salvation for you and I. And the Bible tells us that Jesus lives obediently before God in your place and mine. And then he carries this perfect record to the cross where he exchanges it with your sinful record. And right there on Golgotha, the sinless one, is crushed for our sin. Jesus dies the death you and I deserve as our legal substitute, as our sacrifice for our sin. Uh, he willingly gives himself up for undeserving and rotten sinners of the universe. Enemies of God, accursed children of wrath. You see, the death of Jesus on the cross for us was like the sunshine shining upon the garbage dump. Because in our sin, there is nothing lovely about us that God should desire. We have rejected it. And yet our Lord Jesus, our amazing Lord Jesus, the Son of Righteousness, who entered our dark world that first Christmas, let the love of God shine on us on the cross. And then after three days, God the Father showed that he had accepted the sacrifice of Jesus for our sin by raising Jesus from the dead with us. Jesus is like a rescue agent who bound his fate to those he came to serve. If we won't get out, he also won't get out. But he did, and so did we, if we trust in him. Because the resurrection of Jesus is not only God approving of the work of the Son, it is God welcoming us home into his precious family as his precious children. Because we are now risen with Jesus, if we trust in him, we have a new resurrection life. Yes, we will die physically any moment. But we will rise and live with God forever. Some of us may not even make the end of 2019. It's possible. I know because there's a lady who sat behind where Brother Rob is sitting. This time he Well, she couldn't make even the service last year. And she, she hasn't met this year. None of us know. But if we trust in Jesus, because Jesus has risen from the dead, and we, we have risen with him, we will live with God forever. And it only gets better, friends. It only gets better. Our Lord Jesus, the God-man, has entered heaven and is sat on the throne of God forever with power subjected to him. You know, when a Formula One racing driver wins, they get on a podium, don't they? And for that season only, they are the reigning champion. But Jesus is reigning forever. The ascension of Jesus means that for the first time, a human being now sits on the throne of heaven. It has never happened before, but it's happened now. Dust sits at the right hand of God. And all who belong to Jesus have been brought into the very presence of God. Oh, what a powerful demonstration of how much God loves you in Christ. Because if you trust in Jesus, God has pursued you from the womb of Mary to the throne of heaven. You are reigning with Jesus in heaven now. But there is more, beloved. There is more. Jesus is coming again to deliver us from this evil present age and bring us safely into the new heavens and new earth. This Jesus, you see, whose first arrival that 
first Christmas, first arrival, that first Christmas was signaled by a star in the east. Will come again as the bright morning star. As we celebrate the first advent today, let us not forget that all of history is marching towards the second advent. When the Lord Jesus appears in glory. And what a glorious day it will be. It will be a glorious day for his true followers. When Jesus reaches out with the warm nails, scarred and of flesh and welcomes us home. At that very moment, the Bible tells us that we shall see him like he is. In all his splendor, in all his glory as God and Savior. And what a sight it will be. A sight infinitely better than all the great wonders brought to us by television. By the likes of Lord Attenborough. And the best part is that we'll enjoy Jesus forever. Can you imagine seeing the face of Jesus, our God, every day? Imagine basking in that Trinitarian love for all eternity. It is beyond imagining. And you don't need to. You don't need to. Because if you are in Jesus, you'll be there, fitted with a new body, cast off made from heaven, just for you. The old Negro spiritual says, Oh Lord, I want to be in that number. When the saints go marching in, well, if you're trusting in Jesus, you will be there. You will be among the number. Beloved, this is the loving pursuit of God that started that first Christmas. This is the God of love that Jesus has come to reveal to us. Now I know as you sit here this morning, Christmas is a time of great joy for many people, especially the children. (laughs) But I also know that for many people, it surfaces old wounds, perhaps memories of those gone by, people we have loved, even in this fellowship, who are no longer with us, or people we have seen uh, in the past of the year, but they've gone off the rails or something, or something that has happened. And I know that for some of you, you are in difficult relationships at home. Celebrating Christmas may bring more beef with other people than joy. I know some of you are celebrating Christmas feeling alone. You are alone by yourself. Other people in our fellowship are feeling frail at this time. Actually, Christmas just reminds them that they are not as energetic as they used to be. And they don't know what 2019 may bring. And they may feel rightly anxious about that. And while many people are buying presents and sharing presents, I know also that there are many, even in our fellowship, there are some in our fellowship for whom finances is a very difficult thing. They feel financially anxious. They are barely getting by. Well, this passage is saying to us that if you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, If you have surrendered your life to him, then remember what matters most. It is not your circumstances. It is that God is made known to you in Jesus. And what a great God that we have in Jesus. Here his love vast as a ocean. Loving kindness as the flood. A loving God who pursues sinners in Jesus to the uttermost. 
the revelation of Christmas is that if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you are never alone. The love of God has found you. So this Christmas, let the immensity of this revelation of Christmas sink deep within your heart so that it becomes the center of your Christmas celebration. Think of Jesus. Think of him coming. And think of his second coming. And if you haven't reached that point of truly surrendering to Jesus, friends, is there really a deeper reality than this? Come to him. Surrender to him. Give your life to him. Hear his love, vast as an ocean for you. Loving kindness as a flood in Jesus. Well, Merry Christmas.